Welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. My name is Trevor Bohm and I will be your host. Every week or so, I try to get myself a fascinating human on the mic for you, someone who looks at the civilized world just like you do and says no thank you. Someone who wants to break some rules, to lead, and to bring their unique vision into the world. Someone for whom the status quo simply will not do. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. Please dive in. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Traver Bohm, your host. Today's interview, I was a little nervous for you guys. I'm interviewing one of my earliest teachers and just deepest mentors. Uh, I was on a plane about five years ago with a book called To Be a Man in My Hand, and I read it cover to cover and was so inspired by it. I went and looked the, the author up and found out he was teaching a workshop there in Santa Barbara, and that workshop changed my life forever. And it really laid the framework for the work that I'm doing with men. So to get an opportunity to speak with Robert Masters, like this is, this guy's a true master at his craft. And we dive into intimacy, we dive into sex, we dive into porn, we dive dive into pain and shame and wounds and and all the things. I know you're going to learn something profound from this episode. So dive on in, ladies and gentlemen, Robert Masters. Robert Masters, what a pleasure to see you again. Uh, for those of you listening to this who don't know, Robert's been a was one of my earliest teachers in the men's and shadow work space, and one of my longest standing teachers. So thank you for your time, your energy, and for showing up today. He switched You're classes. There you go. Yeah. And just to give people some context, this is early June. America is still reeling with with racial divide and and some challenges over uh, George Floyd's death. Robert, I just asked you a question, but would love to ask you again, from your unique perspective, what do you see playing out here with regards to shadow, with regards to America, racism, men's work, et cetera, or men's issues? I just see an enormous upheaval. A lot of chaos, Yeah. but a fertile chaos. There's a lot of pain, suffering, agony, but things that have been not quite surfaced in the last while are surfacing now mm. everything the covid has brought people's fear more to the surface i've been doing work with people for a while on this around working with fear collective fear the racial stuff that's going on i mean that's 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 been here all along right been here ever since the founding fathers who owned slaves of course got this whole thing going it's 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 rampant mm. it's not enough to say oh i'm not racist i think we have to be anti-racist Looking at ourselves for signs of that, looking at others, acknowledging my privilege, all of that, without crumbling into guilt and becoming a puddle of helplessness, we have to stand up. Mm. And I think there's enough going on now. People want a major shift. Mm-hmm. Now, they want it. The big, the big step is to go from that to actually implementing it. Yeah. I, think that's, I think there's energy for that, too. Because, you know, we're in crisis as a species. Before there was COVID, but Years ago, there's there's an ecological disaster going on. Yeah. And there's an inner ecology that's an equal <clears throat> bad disaster. People not knowing their shadow, especially leaders, corporate people don't know their shadow. Mm. If you don't know your shadow, whatever's in it is going to run you. It's right. inevitable. So most of us are being run by powers that are not aware of their shadow. Mm. And 
there's such pain in this and such grief. Right. And there's just such a disconnection from grief, which, which would allow us to feel each other more. Mm. So enormous dehumanization going on. And this has been going on for so long. It's like America, the uh, make America great again. Bullshit. America never was, didn't have that. Right. Land of the free. No, it was never the land of the free. I'm not being down on it. It's just the truth. It's, it's not the home of the brave. It's the home of the fearful. I mean, there's exceptions, of course. Mm. And America has been held as a bastion of, of, of the highest qualities around the planet. Of course, that's been shattered and tattered more and more. But there's a turning point. Just like if you or I have an earlier time in our history and we've, we've really messed up or broken down, it hurts. It hurts like hell. It's, there's a lot of suffering in it. And out of that, as you know, magic can happen. Out of the rubble, out of the ruins of us, something arises that's more who we really are. Not to escape from the pain, but to be present with the pain in a way where we're not part of the problem. Hmm. That's big. And I think that's all up right now. That's why I, I need to be passionate about working with shadow at a core traumatic level. Robert, and, for people who don't really understand shadow from anything other than like, oh, that's the stuff we don't want to think about, or that's the stuff we don't yeah. talk about in public. Would you mind diving into a little bit of, of the depth of shadow for us? Well, there is a depth. A lot of it is not deep enough. A lot of it is just a consideration of archetypes and things, which has some value, but it keeps it kind of heady intellectual. To me, it's a storehouse for our unfaced conditioning, unresolved wounding. That's the base level. So and we all have that, but not all of us have faced it very deeply. It's there. It also is a storehouse for what we don't like about ourselves, what we disowned in ourselves, good or bad, dark or light, doesn't matter. You can, your, your, your most beautiful qualities could be stuck in your shadow along with um, some really bad stuff. Mm -hmm. It's all sitting there asking for us to get intimate with it, to get to know it. And the worse it is, the more important it is to get close to it. The place in us where we can dehumanize others, our own violence, right. our own um, abuse of others, whatever's sitting there, our selfishness, our narcissism, it's mm -hmm. in all of us. And if we face it, it doesn't have as big a chance to run us. Yeah. So if you or I face our narcissism, it's, the odds are increased that we will not act from that. We will notice that selfish, me-centered part of us mm -hmm. without condemning it and without giving into it. That's a big thing. Mm -hmm. Robert, I, I asked this question to someone yesterday and, and telling them that I was going to talk with you. And I'm going to make a presumption here that narcissism is more present in men than it is in women. Is that a correct pr presumption or am I off with that? I've seen it in both to an extreme extent. Because okay. women are more emotionally literate, more in touch with feeling, it may seem like they're not. But if we're me-centered, we're me-centered. Mm. I like to call narcissism a cult of one. Mm. It's a cult. And it's workable. But if we have narcissism running through our system, we're going to have very low empathy, maybe mm. zero empathy. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give a crap about other people, what they're going through. They're all a means to an end. Mm. We can use them. And we can wake up from narcissism. I mean, you see it in the three or four-year-old kid. They're, you know, me-centered, and it's all about me. But that's natural for them at that age. Not natural for an adult to be running around doing the same thing. Right. Can you touch a little bit on one of the, the things that's got me started in the men's landscape was looking at it. 
and saying, what I see most is an epidemic of unexpressed grief. Yes. Can you speak to that specifically for men? And, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying, I've taken a lot of heat this week by publicly saying what I see happening in America is not wholly, but at its root, a very male issue. That men's work is, is being called forward more and more and more because I didn't see, I don't see rampant violence in women. I don't see exactly. abuse of power yeah. as heavily in women. So why is it that men are so toxic or so aggressive or so whatever we want to say, destructive by ignoring or because we're ignoring our grief? And what are some of the early steps men can take who are listening to this? Like, bro, I don't even have any grief but yet they're sitting on a, a mountain of it. They are. They're sitting on top of an ocean of grief, frozen grief, and the ax is in their hands, but they're not using it to chip away at that frozen sea. It's huge because grief makes us vulnerable. A lot of men, being vulnerable means being weak, mm-hmm. being overpowered. Maybe they were like that happened when they were kids, so they associate being sad or tender with getting hurt. Mm-hmm. But without grief, we we are less likely to connect with others. We don't have as much empathy. And then our anger turns into aggression. And we have more of that going. I mean, there's a lot of women who get very aggressive. There's a lot of violent mothers, but the men carry it a step further where they can become even more dangerous, more toxic. Mm. And that behooves us as men not to castrate ourselves through never being angry and being the sweet, nice guy. We want to have our anger. We want to have that fire at our fingertips but we also want to have our heart connected to our anger to some degree. Mm. Otherwise, you become one more aggressive asshole wreaking havoc on the planet, mm. whether it's on his family, tribe, government, who knows? So it behooves us men to, to learn about grief. And to learn about grief is also means to learn about shame. Like a lot of men who don't want to go near their grief have enough shame that it's got them by the nuts that they're not aware of it. Because if you or I are reap, feel a lot of shame as a guy, we may go to aggression or dissociation really quickly, Mm. really quickly. So it seems like we're not shame ridden or based. We're just pissed off. Right. right, Or we feel, or or we're stonewalling. We've cut ourselves off from our feelings. But the core of it is shame. Mm. And once the shame layer is exposed, worked with compassionately, so you're not shaming a man for having shame, then he can access his vulnerability. His tears will come more easily. The shame is there. He's not just a rock. I will now see I'm, I, I hurt anyone. They want to defend themselves to the nth degree. Right. Like a lot of politicians do when they're criticized. And a, a man who's healthy is going to feel his grief. He's not going to crumble in it and become a helpless puddle of uh, self-pity. But he's going to feel it. It's going to make him weep sometimes. People can tell he's sincere in it. And then the grief can start to come. The grief over having been out disconnected for so long to where what so mainly only felt is lust, maybe a lot of sensations in the cock and the brain, but in between brain and genitals is this no man's land of this abandoned <laughs> heart, you know? Where's the guts? It's, it's an empty, empty territory, and we men can feel that so that we can cry. We can touch our grief and realize wow, you feel if you spent 10 years of your life shut off, there has to be grief. All Mm -hmm. that time spent where you didn't feel life, not just women, but you didn't feel life. All that time spent seeing other people, it's just um, numbers on a 
chart or something. Here's, mm-hmm. a, here's this death, that death, that death. We don't feel it. We read the news, horrifying news, and we don't feel it. Mm-hmm. Whereas George Floyd's death was so so easy to feel. I think a lot of people were kind of numb because they actually see this man who couldn't breathe and he's crying for his mother. Right. It breaks the heart. If someone doesn't, isn't moved by that, they are, their heart has gone to stone. Right. But it took something like that, that powerful to get people snapping to more going, this is really, really off. Yeah. And, and that awakens a collective grief in us. I mean, the grief of all those centuries of slavery and, and it's still going on in different ways all over the planet. Mm. All the people that are, are, are hurting like crazy, there's that grief. Mm-hmm. Then there's the grief of losing those we love. You could be profoundly in love, have an incredible partnership, and she dies. It rips you open. You don't have affairs on the side. You don't have a plan B or C. Like That's like me. You're ripped open. You're devastated. Mm-hmm. And if you say yes to your grief, you're going to be carried to a deeper place. Because to me, grief uh, exposes what really matters. It make, makes it clear to us what really matters. Mm. It doesn't need a translator. And it's inherently healing if we let it have its way with us. So if you or I are in deep grief, we're not going to be sitting there quietly with a few manly tears creeping down our cheeks. We're going to be sobbing, heaving, shaking. Somebody's pissed off. Somebody's feeling like we're going insane. It's like a great passion, a force of nature that can take us over. Mm. And it hurts like hell, but also there's a cleansing in it. There's a purification to it. It's not like a depressed crime where we cry for hours and we're kind of down and flat. It's a big thing. Mm-hmm. It's a big thing. And I think we men fear it in part because to say yes to it is to lose control. Mm-hmm. It's like you're in the, in the waves. You're not trying to surf perfectly. You're just being blown. To, you're not going to die, but you're being blown around, pushed mm-hmm. around, etc. Yeah. And in my experience working with so many people and this and to myself, the more you can get, say yes to it and give into the flow of grief, the better. Robert, you'll love this. Thank you. First of all, thank you so much for sharing it. I, I'll say this story and then maybe circle back to grief, but I listened to a podcast that Connor Beaton did uh, a couple of weeks ago, another student of yours, and it was on grief and grieving where we thought we would be in life compared to where we are. And I was out walking in a park listening to him. And I was like, man, I'm so glad that my days of grieving are over. Mm-hmm. And, and I recommend everybody listening to this never say that out loud. Because uh, instantly I got a little bit of a tummy ache. And then I was <laughs> bummed out all day. And then the next morning in my meditation, it was just, <laughs> and it came out of nowhere. I was all of this old stuff. Uh, but you're right. I didn't collapse. And so I'd love to talk about that. Like in, in the grieving, it was full. It was, you know, sobbing and shaking and, and all the yeah. things. Yeah. And then it was probably five breaths after. I went, okay, let's get on with the day. Yeah. yeah. And yes, there was a softening. I could feel my heart. I could feel emotion. Yes. I could feel something had taken place. But I was able to work. I was able to eat. I was able to go about my, my yeah. life. One of the things I feel like I've witnessed in the past even three months with COVID and the current situation is men collapsing. Mm -hmm. I was just saying, oh, this is too much. And then literally I see it from the leadership down. And if I looked up throughout the U.S. of how many mayors, senators, all the way to the White House have just kind of disappeared. 
people have gotten small, people have hidden. What's your recommendation for men, especially listening to this, or women who love men, to, to how do they deal with the duality of, I feel like if I touch my grief or my emotion, it's going to make, make me collapse and crumble. And yet, I don't want to. No, what makes you collapse and crumble is resisting it. That takes up a lot of energy. If you're resisting it, grief is such a powerful, powerful force and current. If we resist it, we can collapse or we can get very depressed because it takes a lot of energy to keep all that, all that juice in. Mm. It takes a lot. And collapse um, is like a submission to what's going on. And I think in healthy grief, we don't submit to the energy, but we surrender. It's a difference. Yeah. When I submit, I shrink, I collapse. My energetic boundaries get tighter. When I surrender, I'm still overwhelmed in a similar fashion, but I've, I've, it's dynamic. It's expansive. And that's what grief can be. Grief can blow us open to when you finish a bout of grief, you may suddenly feel like you can sense nature more deeply. You're more attuned. You can feel the divine dimensions of reality. Not as up here, you feel them in your heart and your guts. So grief is a very spiritual emotion in that sense. It can blow us open to the core realities. If we stop short of going fully into it, though, we miss that. And we just are having a cry and we're feeling sorry for ourselves. We're hurting and we t we're turning our pain into suffering. Pain just means unpleasant sensation. Suffering is something we do with pain. We make a drama out of it, starring the hurt us. And we can get lost in that storyline so much that we're you could even say our suffering keeps our pain in the dark, mm. keeps it in the shadow. And you want your, the roots of your pain to be brought out of your shadows. So you can stare at, look at them face to face, which takes uh, it's a heroic thing, male or female, to face mm -hmm. those things and look at them because they are shaky for anyone. I don't care how powerful that man or woman is. To face some of the stuff in our shadow is profoundly humbling and quite, can be quite scary. But you do it, for, the fuller you do it, the better it goes. Yeah. Just like with grief, you give yourself to grief or you give yourself to, to anger in a healthy setting where you can get, go to the complete edge of rage without doing damage. Mm. And you may feel joy at the same level of passion or even or lust, but it's all done in a way where it's connected to heart so it doesn't do damage to others. And grief is not dangerous. It can seem dangerous, like I'm going to fall apart and got to be strong for the kids, got to be strong, hold it together at the funeral. Other cultures know that you can just wail. Mm -hmm. scream your guts out let it be there yeah and and if you do it fully your self-consciousness about about it will disappear you'll just simply be like you were the other day you just you're just shaken up then you do it fully doesn't last that long mm -hmm. not gonna last all days so you come out of it you're refreshed like wow you're more sensitive you're softer but you're not emasculated mm -hmm. or disempowered in fact you're empowered in a deeper way yeah that's that's quite profound yeah i hope i hope men listening to that heard that that one it's it's such a vital place to draw from they will hear it if they are also working on their shame where they can actually recognize shame when it's there name it and not allow the presence of shame to obstruct the flow of grief how, how does a man know shame is blocking his grief he will feel cut off of the heart He'll feel smaller. He'll show some of the sag and slump of shame. Mm -hmm. And he, he, will, he will numb. He'll go numb. Because he knows in his heart of hearts, he's either done something wrong 
or else something's been done wrong to him. Something's there. And shame is such a squirmingly uncomfortable emotion when you're with it in its nakedness. We squirm. That's why we enjoy comedy that has shame based because it's, it, it's vicarious. We can, we can watch it, but it's not us. Right. Man, it's squirmy. <laughs> wow. You just know, here's this scene at a dinner table, and it couldn't be more, more edgy. Yeah. And we laugh, but we're uncomfortable in the laughter a bit too because it's so close to home. Yeah. So a man who's in the position we're talking about needs to read about shame, study it, and ask himself the question when did I first feel shame? Mm. What's my inner critic say to me? Who sounds like my inner critic? They do a whole inventory so they get educated about this hidden emotion, which is the most hidden emotion in psychotherapy and spiritual practice, mm. is shame. It's like this lost continent we've forgotten. It's sitting there. Robert, when you I look, look, at, I look at Trump, and, and Trump looks like he's, he's feeling shame almost all the time, his coloring, and he has the standard male response. When criticized or shamed in some way, attack. Mm -hmm. Cut the other person down to size. It's not just him, but many men have that as their MO. Someone comes after me, puts me down, shames me, I'll cut him down. Or if I'm in an old Western, I'll get up on, off the ground, get on my horse, and go kill all the bad guys, mm -hmm. get revenge. Is that in, are we indoctrinated in that through media and movies or is yeah. this? Oh yeah, we and, and through our parenting, through being shamed in school, you can't do something, you can't do your math quick enough. You're told so many words. Well, what's wrong with you? Come on, this is easy. Try right. again. Try harder. And the more we are shamed, the hard, harder it is to uh, be skillful in what we do. Mm. Shame is so prevalent, and you know there's a healthy shame too, but the, the toxic shame is so widespread. And so many people are walking around with that inner critic in, the, in, in their ear all the time. You can't see it, but you can feel it. They're being hit by it, and either they crumble and collapse, or they get so prideful they get self-inflated. They're, like, they're trying to look bigger than they are. Yeah. All reactions to shame. So knowing your shame really well is going to help allowing your grief to flow. When your grief flows, you're less likely to, de to dehumanize other people, which to me is so important. The most, yeah. Yeah. For for guys listening to this, Robert, I, I I imagine you get this question, or you've gotten it throughout your life, probably as often as I have. How do we convince men to care about this? Right. If I want to throw a workshop this weekend and be like, "Here's the deal. I'm going to teach you how to fuck ten women, make 150 grand, and have abs by Monday," I would sell out. <laughs> sell out, man. <laughs> I'd be calling you from my jet. But here we have, hey guys, we want you to actually make all of your life better, all of your relationships better, your entire human experience better, and your contribution to the planet more holistic. We need you to work on your shame and guilt. And it's just like crickets in the background. Is, is well, that well, a One thing that's helpful is to help, help men see this, um, understand the consequences of that. If you, if you go, go for what you described, the damage it does. Now, if they're really young, they may not have seen the evidence of that. But most men, when they get a little older, have seen the evidence of, of that. And they, when they treat women badly, here's what happens again and again and again. Here's what happens ecologically. Here's what happens. And I think a lot of men have that urge to outgrow those things. Mm -hmm. There's a shame in even admitting that they've participated in such things or stayed silent when other men were, were speaking in racial ways or putting women down in a really coarse, ugly way. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said about saying, fuck being a bystander. Mm. We have to step in. And if you're afraid to be a, to step in, you need to get in touch with your anger, 
get your balls. Not that you have to go around and hurt people, beat them up, but you have to have um, have that fire on tap. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to put up stuff. It's like being a teenage boy and your friends are, say, hurting an animal or being cruel in some way. You just stay quiet because you don't, you don't want to lose your membership in the group. That's so common. And that has to be faced and cut through. And that takes guts. It takes courage. Like I see guys coming from men's work. I always, in the first day or so I mentioned, this takes courage to be here. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm trying to be a scary guy or anything, but but you're going to be asked to go pretty deep and you're going to see other men doing it and you'll get used to it after a while. And it'll be inspiring, but it yeah. takes courage to be here and doing this. Mm. And, and there's an invitation implicit in that to men to step into something deeper and to understand what it means to obscure that, to try and get away from it. I see, we can't dumb this down too much for men. The men had the men have to make a stretch. Mm-hmm. If you want to be happier, fuller, Enjoy, enjoy sex more. You could use that as one too. But I mean, how enjoyable is sex when all you're focused on is, is, is a few seconds of orgasm? Everything else is like just a warm up. What if it was orgasmic the whole time? Mm. It could be marketed that way. Although marketing this stuff's very tricky because you don't want to give false promises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a, I appreciate that. I get this every day from women, which is how do I get my guy to X? How do I get him to show up and start reading, to go to therapy, to join a men's group, to stop drinking, to, to stop saying I'm fine when yes. every empirical signal in his life yes. is pointing I say to women, no, so I, say, I, say, I say don't enable him. Mm-hmm. Like in other words, and also, for example, don't be sexual with him just because he wants it and you, and you don't, but you want to make sure he's happy. Take your own stand. You want things, him to show up more, you've got to show up more, and you've got to lay it on the line more. And don't tolerate the shit. Step into it. Step into it skillfully, but challenge him. Light a fire, a compassionate fire under his butt. Mm. It's really important. It may may mean you end the relationship or it may make it better, but don't sit back and complain about him. Take a stand and do call him out. And if he's not a suitable partner, there's there's been abuses or a lot of breaking of trust, ask yourself, what's keeping me here? Is the little girl in you still attached to being with him, being with daddy? Mm. is that what's the woman afraid will happen if she's on her own there's a lot on women too in this they're less overt in what they're doing but it's also that they could be unknowingly enabling him to continue being an asshole etc etc so it's about it's about all of us diving in together like in a healthy couple both partners are facing the same direction they're side by side and they're facing the difficulties and challenges each of them have there's a sense of mutual compassion and care being brought to the, the, the pair. It's not adversarial. And that requires that men wake up more and women too. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like men are lagging behind women in this movement or in the consciousness space? Or is it the, the same as you described? It's just less overt the work that um, we're doing. I think they're lagging behind when it comes to emotional literacy. Mm-hmm. So I have, most men I work with, I have them read my book on emotional literacy called Emotional Intimacy. Mm-hmm. Yet to know it, and I find men are just as capable as women are of being emotionally literate at a very deep level. But we weren't taught that way. Girls tended to get a little more attention for that. And as far as consciousness, uh, I've seen many men shine bright with their true self. I see many women too. I don't think it's uh, genderized one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Robert, do you? I'm going to switch gears on you a couple of times here. 
uh, do you see the, or how do you see the nature of relationship and the nature of marriage right now shifting culturally? I see a, a lot of different opportunities for, or different options that weren't really in the, in the collective. Just well, even five know, The main option I see is that not so long ago, women were not on an equal footing with men to such a degree that you couldn't really have a, a conscious, profoundly evolving relationship that way. But now that women have more footing there, there's a new type of relationship which is available, like a fully conscious relationship between men and women, men and men to women and women, where the partners are in a situation that's simultaneously crucible for the deep work and the sanctuary. There's a sense of profound safety. Mm. And I see that this, the bar is being raised to where men are being given less and less permission to act out or have a plan B or a couple lovers on the side and be asked, dive in deep. Go really deep. Don't stay on the surface. Don't be a dilettante. Dive deep. And that means not eroticizing our wounds, mm. male or female. It means waking the F up as mm. much as possible. And that's possible now. I mean, the literature on conscious relationship is pretty recent. It wasn't, like, it wasn't here 50 years ago. Mm. Maybe 1990s, the Levines had a book out, um, Embracing the Beloved, got us started. I've done my part. Others have done their part. But it's still pretty new, and it's also not as popular as you might think it would be because of the work it requires. Many people want the benefits of, prof of a profoundly evolved relationship without doing the work to make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you, you mentioned a term that I think is going to flag some people or some people may not understand. What does eroticizing your wounds mean? It means we have a situation in childhood we have a lot of charge with, positive or negative, probably negative. That charge gets sexualized later, not always, but sometimes. So then we are what acting out. What does that mean? It gets sexualized later? It, it means we, we, we try and express it in, a, in a, an erotic or sexual context. So if we are dominated by a parent, which is not sexual, we're just overpowered. We may develop a charge with that that's unpleasant, where we want to either act out being dominated or we want to do the dominating in a sexual arena. We may legitimize it by saying it's just kinky, it's you know, my kink, but really it's our conditioning. It's a huge topic. If we're not, it means becoming aware of the non-sexual factors that are driving your sexuality. Many of us are not doing that. We're not aware of these other things that are making us feel our sexuality more or less. Mm. For example, man could we want to have sex many times a day. I think he's hypersexed. What I've seen with men like that usually is there's there's a lot of unresolved emotion. They're anxious. They got a lot of anger. That gets discharged temporarily through ejaculation. Mm. So their partner becomes the outhouse for their frustrated emotions. Not a very glamorous, <laughs> not a very glamorous image, but there it is. <laughs> That's going to be a real honest conversation over dinner, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Do so you find they're using sex as just a way to blow off steam or a way to... Uh... Sometimes. Yeah. 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 And many men will do that. Many women will give in to having that happen because it makes, makes him more, more of a pleasant person to be around. But they're bypassing what sex can be, which is a profoundly beautiful celebration of already present, already loving connection, mm. in which the aphrodisiac is not creating more polarity or, or more different types of friction or positions. It's the, the aphrodisiac is the connection, mm. the connection with its other human being on every dimension. That's the turn on. And that creates a much deeper sexuality than that of this characterized by trying to increase polarity or 
build a friction. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Robert, do you, I'm going to just follow this thread for a second. Do you then look at anything in the kink world or any kind of, let's say, quote, unquote, aberrant sexual expression as wound? Or, or, or am I using like an obtuse term to say, but that's just how people are wired? Or you have people who from a very young age... I would say different than being wired. It's a way of being conditioned. Okay. I've seen this happen over and over and over again. Just uh, people have unusual habits, aberrant, kinky, whatever you want to call it. And you hear the early history, it almost always ties in with that. Mm -hmm. There they were being beaten or being whipped or having this happen or being exposed to porn when they're really little or... It doesn't mean it's wrong, but it means to me it's an unskillful use. And I think it's the dangerous territory to legitimize that is that it's just that person's preference. Because if we're not awakened to quite a degree, how can we say we're really choosing it? Our conditioning is choosing it, just like our conditioning often picks the partner for us, not us. Mm-hmm. We wonder, why, why did I pick that person? I such a charge. She's so excited. He is. Because it mimics the old situation, the same intensity of charge and connection. Yeah. Where, where does the wormhole end with that of like, I like vanilla ice cream. Is it like, how far down the, the hole do you go before you say like, we're all just constantly responding to conditioning or do you, I guess maybe the question is, do you ever release yourself from your conditioning or is there just one more layer of conditioning? Here's what you do as you evolve. You become more intimate with it. So you and I could be 90 years old, and we still have our conditioning, but we're, it's not running us as it would have before. Mm-hmm. We're aware of it. You're aware of it. And, and, and in the midst of all that, there are preferences. We all have preferences. I yeah. Mean, but we don't choose our preferences. Our preferences are condition-based as well? Well, but they're just part of the system. Like you like vanilla more than chocolate, or I like the reverse doesn't mean that I'm messed up or you are. It just means that that's a preference. Yeah. Take it to a deeper level. We're actually involved in heavy behavior with other people. Some are conditioned to be more aggressive with others. Some are more conditioned to be more submissive or to want to play out a certain role. Or instead of having eyes open, fully conscious sex, they want to get lost in some sort of pornographic fantasy because that increases the excitation. Mm -hmm. In which case they're, they're involved in a mind game rather than a true intimacy. Mm. And there's many levels to it. It's more like there's, we go through stages. Like it's not like it's wrong for a teenage boy to uh, masturbate, feel some relief. There's a problem if he carries it into his adult life and that becomes his go-to. Mm-hmm. And that, that's more of it. Or, or his porn fantasy is more exciting to him than a flesh and blood woman. Right, right, right. So it's, it all has to do with you as you wake up more and more. Not about, okay, this is right, that's wrong. Like I always use the phrase with porn, the work is to outgrow it. Right. I love that. You have to go into it. You have to study it, understand the dynamics of it and your history, and then start to outgrow it. Otherwise, you're always in a subtle triangle, you, the lover, and the porn habit. Mm. You want to not have that be the case. And it takes guts. And for a man to outgrow that habit, it takes guts, it takes balls, and it has the rewards are huge. Yeah. He doesn't become a prude. He becomes a fuller man. Yeah. That conversation, your term of outgrowing porn was massive for me personally. Mm. And how I most felt about alcohol, which was I just stopped. 
and I don't think about it. I can walk through a liquor store and it, it's almost like walking through a store of crayons. Like, I don't know. I see that they're crayons, but I don't have any attachment. You also remember the time when you would walk into a store and you just, you just want. Oh, yeah. I loved I it. it. it was, yeah. I, you know, it was a, the labels became a fantasy and, and alcohol wasn't my number one thing. But the idea about growing, I think, is more helpful for guys than I'm quitting, which is this... I may not, which is this almost pass fail. Oh, I quit, but then I went back to it. I quit and then. Similar here. I'm just thinking of some men when I work with them and they've, they've uh, betrayed their partner, mm. their female partner, and they've cheated and they've done it. You know, it's been pretty awful. Mm-hmm. And they're, they often after, so I'll never do that again. I promise. I just look and I say, you know what? I don't believe you. Mm. I mean, and that's where I do the eye work where I can often see one eye. Yeah. Presence of that place inside that just wants to fuck just yep. wants to get off, doesn't give a shit about the partner. Mm-hmm. When that's brought out in the open, then it can be worked with. And then what he says to his partner, if she's still with him, has more authenticity. He's not pretending, trying to be good, or I'm going to try to outgrow porn and try to not drink. What you did, you, you, when you dropped it, you were ready. Mm-hmm. You dropped it. So you're not, you're not even pulled now. You don't, you don't have a secret stash in your place somewhere. I don't see any bottles behind you. I mean, just... <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of herbs yeah. <laughs> and some kombucha. That's about yeah. as, as, as wild as it gets around here. <laughs> yeah. But you outgrow that. Imagine if you were still in that and trying to hide it. What, what hell that would be. Oh, uh, it'd be awful. Trey was a men's leader and he's, oh, he's, got, he's an alcoholic in secret. I mean, what a bummer that would be. Yeah. And how expensive it would be energetically to keep that secret. Oh, exhausting. Right? How exhausting. Like spiritual teachers that may claim they have no anger anymore. Yeah. Then they may act out their anger in private. They get seen. Mm. I saw a guy once supposed to be enlightened and a long time ago. The teacher, I don't trust him. I walk in the kitchen, doesn't see me. I see him speak to his assistant, a young woman, very harshly. He's angry at her. His pride doesn't know I'm watching. Or someone else kicks the dog. No one looks both ways, kicks the dog. I mean, we all have anger. I mean, what's wrong with that? Mm -hmm. You have anger, I have anger. Jesus had anger. I mean, we all have it unless we're completely numb. Mm -hmm. What brings most men to you, Robert? Like, I read your book and was blown away. It It was, why didn't I know this before? That was the member reading it. Like, why has, why did I have to get to 39 before any of this became available? Easy answer is you weren't ready. For sure. And, and, and some men can read uh, what my, my books and, and not like them, not be moved by them. I'm not the right guy for them. Other men go, I got to meet you. I want to work with you. Mm-hmm. Or I want to do some couples work with you. And that's the, it's all word of mouth, intuition, not a, a whole bunch of guys coming at one time. I get lots of people, one here, one there, one there. Especially yeah. these times, these days, now I've opened up my practice again. Mm-hmm. A lot of men and women are pouring in, wanting to have a session. Some mm-hmm. of them want to do groups with me, but it's just pouring in. I'm not marketing. I'm just saying I'm available now. Is it because stuff's gotten stirred up and people don't feel safe and they don't feel secure or they have time? What do you think it is? All, all of the above. It's a yeah. mixture. They just suddenly go, ah, oh, this works for me. Mm-hmm. You just know. Robert, what are you seeing, if I can ask, with couples, especially around this, the lockdown and the the massive upheaval that the world's going through. What are some of the more poignant conversations that couples are coming to you with? Well, a lot of them are, are they've already, they're already in trouble. It's even worse being together. Whereas for Diane and me, where this is paradise for us. <laughs> we're already together. We get together all the time, more than ever. 
the couple and our cats and it's like yeah. I, it's, it's bringing us even closer but yeah. a couple that's already on the edge it's very difficult mm. i mean it's a challenge i mean the, the couples will have to see is this is this is this a go-ahead for me what am i doing here what's the most loving thing i can do for this other person somebody says to leave to let go other times continue deepen what i've seen too is that both people go all out there's a, there's a good chance they're going to turn a corner. But usually when I see one person's really into it and the other one's being dragged along and is not really into it. Usually the man, not always, but usually the man's being dragged along. <laughs> My wife told me to do this. and He doesn't want, he doesn't want to do the hard lift. It's a lot of heavy lifting you got to do. Yeah, I remember being at a, a, a one-day symposium that Esther Perel put on, and she had a couple uh, – couples therapists and there was a guy in his, I think his late seventies is like, I've seen tens of thousands of couples over my career. And here is without fail, what happens most often they come in, they sit down, woman does the speaking. She may then get up and use the restroom. She gets up and use the restroom. And the guy leans in and says, we don't have any problems. We just need to get her to stop bitching. <laughs> <laughs> you know what though? I don't get couples like that. Cause I screen people first. Yeah. And I, and I often have the couple face each other very early on. And I don't always start with a man, but I, both people get vulnerable with me first. If they're not vulnerable, the other stuff just doesn't work. And the vulnerability means I'm going to, I'm going to develop more empathy with you and vice versa. Yeah. Then we'll revisit this places we disagree on. Because mm -hmm. without the empathy, we can argue forever. Right. And, and there's a sense of, to me, there's a sense of urgency, especially these days, to take the work deep quickly. Like I like to go deep in the first five minutes of a session, usually, not rushing it, but I go deep. I go, I go in deep. I know how to do that. So the person, after forty minutes, we've gone, we've gone to some really deep work done mm. without rushing, because time, time is precious. Things are there's a chaos now. I mean, the world's changing more than we think right now. It's not just you know COVID and we can't fly as much. Right. I don't, I don't know if we're going to, we're not going to be able to go back. We'll go back to something. But when people try that, there'll be more people will get ill. Yeah. It's a very tricky territory we're navigating now. Yeah. Robert, what does vulnerability, why does it make the space for empathy and compassion? What is it about that sitting across from someone, taking the breath and saying, ah, oh, shit, okay, here's how I really feel. Why does that open a door? Because it's transparent. It's non-strategically transparent. You're not doing transparency, you're gonna get laid or something. You're usually you're being transparent because it just because you're you're choosing to show yourself more. And you're vulnerable. It means you can be hurt more, your guard is down. Mm. And that is inherently disarming. It's mm -hmm. disarming. It creates it increases the sense of safety in the relational field. Yeah, I have a couple. There's not mutual vulnerability. I have to find my way into each person's history, their past, what breaks their heart. Once they both have done that and showed it to each other, then we can look at the hard stuff. Mm. The fact that she or he cheated, whatever, we can get into that. Yeah, because without that mutual empathy, and see, we're swinging back to grief. I mean, grief cracks the heart open. There's empathy. Yeah. Without empathy, what do we? How do you make it work with another person? Mm. Because you'll never see it from their perspective yeah. without it. Yeah. You won't, stay, you, won't, you won't feel it from their perspective. You won't feel as though you're in their shoes because it's a feeling. Yeah. One of the biggest takeaways I had from the last time 
I was in session with you in that group yeah. was the depth of the word and the, and, and the word is, is an obtuse thought to call it a word safety yeah. of how deep that term runs, especially being in a co-ed group yes. where it took the women, it didn't take them. Let me rephrase that on the third day. They said they felt safer than they ever have before. Yes. Yet the things that men were sharing were, what's the right word edgy edgy yeah right we weren't in there singing songs and playing kumbaya oh, and on showing things that were usually would be pretty scary to women yeah enough trust deep trust developed here's a field of safety so in that safety things can be shared that couldn't be shared otherwise yeah that's part of the essence of a group that's really working well there's a sense of safety mm. throughout not a deadening safety where we just walled away from the world, but a safety where we're safe enough to let go of being safe. That's the paradox. Can let you say more about that? Well, to let go of playing it safe, mm. to risk more. That's the paradox. The more safety there is, the easier it is to let go of playing it safe. You can stick your neck up more, and there's more trust between you and not just me, the leader, but also with everyone else in, this, in the space. And that, that magic can happen there. And a lot of relationships that are not working, almost always there's, a, there's not full safety. One person doesn't feel very safe, especially if there's been some betrayal, like cheating, there's been something like or, or some physical violence. And it's worth developing that and maintaining that and also making the container very clean. Like there's no leaking of energy, for example, from you to other women if you're with a partner, so she feels even safer, mm. et cetera. So... How, how do men or how, what would you recommend to men listening to this who are just starting to wrap their heads around this idea of how important safety is for their female partners if they're in a, a heterosexual relationship yeah. of building and establishing and keeping an eye on that safety so it's not just the, well, I'm not doing anything wrong, and so I checked the safety box in the first three months yeah. of the relationship. Yeah. How, do we, how do men continue to like lay slabs of paint and concrete to really solidify that safety? By being accountable, by keeping their word. If they have to change their word, they do it consciously. And by also, this is really important, shifting from aggression to anger. I've seen so many women, when the man shows aggression, even if it's passive, weak, I can feel her pulling back. If she doesn't trust him, he's not a safe man. Mm-hmm. He can suddenly get very dangerous. When they see a man get angry in a way that's clean, and it's intense, it's passionate, but it's clean, they usually go, oh, I feel safer with you now, even though it's loud, intense, and fire, because he's not a danger. Mm-hmm. He's got his, his guts are in his anger, his passion, also his heart a little bit. He doesn't forget he cares about her. Mm. And he's vulnerable. Healthy anger is inherently vulnerable. Mm. How come? Because we're, we're raw. We're exposing ourselves. Mm. And we're not sitting back being aggressive and sniping from a distance. We're in close. Yeah. So healthy anger always includes some degree of heart. And would you say the difference between anger and aggression is also that, that presence of the heart? Yes. Because aggression to me, in this context, is just an attack. It can be done, said very softly, sarcastically, whatever. It's an attack. Mm. It's, not, it's there to take the other person down or put them in their place. It's not, it's not a relational thing. You're not trying to deepen the relationship between the other person to clear it up. You're on the attack. Mm. And women especially will not feel safe next. If a man gets on the attack, and men are usually bigger and stronger physically, there's that danger, that primal sense 
if he wanted to, he could probably kill me, do mm -hmm. me in. We rarely have that as men with women, but women have that going. They're on a trail running. Some strange guy shows up, they don't recognize. I'm the, if I'm on the run, I'm not threatened at all. Woman's on the run, she's probably going to feel more threat than me, understandably so. Of course, yeah. A stranger come her way. Yeah. So men have to be aware of how frightening male aggression is for women. Yeah. And the answer isn't to cut off your balls and become a wimp. The answer is to shift to your aggression to pure anger, healthy anger. So for, for I, I've said this a lot publicly and, and have watched men's eyes kind of glaze over when they're like, but all that, all anger is bad. I keep telling like, don't, don't get angry. Don't be angry. I'm not angry. Like you'll, you, I'm sure you love the classic, like, I'm not angry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. No, I'm not angry. <laughs> no, I'm not reactive. Fuck You're you. just yelling with joy. Yeah. <laughs> well, anger gets bad press. And also many people have uh, a negative association between anger and safety. They're a little kid and it's the anger coming their way is more aggressive. It's scary. Mm -hmm. It may mean danger. It could mean the loss of love, punishment from a parent. So they grow up associating anger with something negative. Then maybe they get it on a spiritual path that takes it a step further. It says anger is unwholesome. It's a bad thing. It's got no good to it. And they're off to the races. Suddenly anger phobia has taken over. Mm -hmm. I think we need to reclaim anger as a resource. Oh, wow. It's a healthy emotion. It's a resource. Yeah. It's part like I get angry at Diane. She gets angry at me. We're both fiery people. But the anger is handled very skillfully. So it's yeah. this passion. If it was repressed, we wouldn't be as close. Right. I know the term. Would you please share what you mean by it's handled skillfully? Um, if anger's handled skillfully, there's no shaming, no blaming. What does that look like? Well, it's no put down. Mm. I say no shame, it means you don't go, like, if I'm her, I would not say to you, well, come on, grow up here. I wish you are more of a man. Mm. There's no shaming. Many men fall prey to that. And it's, it, it cuts them off at the knees and the woman wonders, well, where did he go? Right. And there's many, many examples. Blaming is making the other person responsible. I'm angry because it's your fault. We're projecting everything onto the other person, put them in the hot seat, takes the heat off us. Um, no attack. And being direct. It's not, not being passive aggressive. Not being sarcastic. And not being sorry. I've seen sarcasm really damage relationships where it's taken in. Because it can easily morph into contempt, and suddenly we're we're really cut off from that person. We're feeling disgust for them. And you can put the key here is to practice with the little angers at first. So if a guy's listening, he's wondering, well, how do I do this? I say start with little tiny angers. Have an agreement with your friend, your friends, or partner. When you're angry, you say it. I'm angry, mm. pissed off, I'm irritated. Put a period at the end of the sentence. Let them breathe it in. Let them get it that you were angry. Give them time so they can tune into you and practice with that. And when the big ones come, eventually you'll, you'll have more skill. You won't, you won't freak out or be as reactive. Or if you are, you'll catch yourself more quickly and go, oh, my God, I'm sorry. Sorry, I was being really defensive. Yeah. Or I, I, I said that, that last thing I just said, I wanted to hurt you with it. You know, we get really honest. We blow the whistle on ourselves. Mm. God, there's so much, Robert. Yeah, there is. Will you speak just to, to close here on the power of men coming together with other men? It can be a wonderful thing. It can also have a real shadow. If the men come together just to pat each other on the back, not challenge each other like happens in many men's groups, mm -hmm. 
that's a danger. It can seem like we're they're doing work when in fact it's just like a bullshit session with some psychology thrown in a few feelings. When it's healthy, there's some challenge. The challenge has to be delivered from the heart and the guts, but there has to be some. Otherwise, the whole thing gets anemic. And because that's possible, I think manuscripts are, I think they're a wonderful thing to have if they take it to that depth. There's many, many manuscripts all over the country, so many. And a lot of them could use more, more infusion of power, passion, maybe better leadership, but at least they're out there, they're happening. Mm -hmm. I think that's really good. Beautiful. Yeah, I've seen so much transformation in men from men's groups, but have had the good fortune of being in high-level men's groups <clears throat> led by people who know what they're doing. And then also hear the stories of quite the opposite. Yeah. Where it's yeah. just a bro fest or you have one, it's run by a narcissistic leader or it's, uh, you know, it, it's creating more toxicity than it's hoping to clear. Yeah. Robert, what do you have coming up? Where can people find you? How, where, I, I imagine you're not running around in the streets too much and flying on planes these days. No, I just run the hills here. And that's like <laughs> <laughs> Good. Great heels here. Great heels. Keep them, keep them fit. And I have, I have all, because I've had groups up for years. Yeah. Trainings, new apprenticeships starting next year. Men's groups, women's groups. But because of the this COVID, I've switched to Zoom a lot. And, and I'm, I'm now, I haven't been open for private work for five years. Now I'm taking individual work, um, couples work all over the planet. And a certain percentage of those people want to do groups with me. So I have them come to short Zoom groups, three days, five days, smaller than usual, say six people. So I can give everyone a lot of attention. Yeah. And it's a deep dive. I find it just as effective as in person, almost as effective. Amazing. And it was beautiful, beautiful things that can happen. So that's, that's it. So I'm sitting here just receiving all that. Got our admin booking this for me, and I just walk in each day. Here's a bunch of sessions. Do them. Couple another day sessions, and then take a break. Yeah. So, and I'm writing a lot, too. I'm, I find myself writing more than I have in years. Is there a, a baby book coming out, maybe? No, no because I've had, <laughs> I'm so tired of the publication. I mean, the, the work of the editing, publishing, the last yeah. 10 years. So I'm just writing just for the hell of it. Good for you. But every for those time. of you who missed the, he said robertmasters.com. We'll have the link in the, uh, in the show notes. Robert, I, I'm, I think this, I know the answer to this question, but are you on social media at all? No. Good for you. God bless you, sir. <laughs> uh, I have, I will, that's all I will say for now. I get it. Yeah. Other than thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for the work you're doing and the effect that you've personally had on my life. Uh, as a man and as a human, I respect you and deeply admire uh, all that you're bringing. And thank you for coming on for this conversation. Yeah, good being with you. This is Trevor Bohm signing off on another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please give us a share. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you're interested in getting a hold of my book, Man Uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading.